God in heaven, we thank you for the reading of your word. We thank you that we have the freedom to read your word and to hear it. And I ask now for the grace that I need to preach your word in a manner which is beneficial to my brothers and sisters. And you would give them the grace of your spirit to understand what you would have us learn from your servant Paul. We ask this in Jesus' holy name, who indeed is the living word of God. Amen. Continuing with Ephesians chapter 4. I will read Ephesians 4 verses 17 through 19 as I did last week and then carry on through verses 20 through 24. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord. You should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. Now just by way of review, those first few passages, um, verses 17 through 19, he is encouraging the Ephesians and by inference us to be different, as we spoke of last week. That we have to have the courage to be different than the surrounding culture. That we have to have the courage to live different lives, to speak different types of words, and to even think different thoughts than our unsaved friends and relatives around us. We also discuss that the power of a changed life is the most effective witness that we can ever have for anyone that we love. And as I asked you last week to think specifically about someone that you know who does not know Christ, who does not acknowledge his sovereignty. And to remember that Paul writes in the book of Philippians that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and that everyone will do that, including the evil one. But only some of us who believe will do it in this life. Everyone will do that on the day of judgment. But if they have not done that, In this life, it will be too late. When you think about that person or those persons, you think about what you can do to get the message across to them. You need a stack full of books. Might not hurt, might. Do you need to have the official stamp of approval from the presbytery? Well, if you want to stand in the pulpit, yes. But no, you don't. doesn't matter if you're a man, woman, or child in this respect. doesn't matter how old you are. The power of a changed life, the power of a changed character, the power of a walk that resembles the risen Jesus Christ 
is the most powerful book you will ever present them with. We are, as it were, living epistles of God. God has written His laws upon our heart. And if He has written His laws upon our heart, as is promised in the New Covenant, then certainly law-abiding behavior is reasonably expected from citizens of the commonwealth of Christ. When you're driving on the road, I hope that you enjoy when your fellow citizens obey the laws. It's very, very helpful. When they don't, it's nerve-wracking. When they don't, it can possibly get dangerous. If you're in the workplace... And you have fellow workers who just seem to like to go their own way. Don't want to be a cog in the wheel, so to speak. And they just jam everything up by not doing that. They refuse to abide by a company's policies. Even if those policies are efficient and they help everybody do the job, they insist on going their own way. And what happens? Very often, everybody has to do the job again. And again, that's annoying, it's distracting, and it's inefficient. Our unsaved loved ones and relatives need to see Christ in us. They need to hear Christ in our words. And this passage here is telling us how to do that. How to practically put this into effect. Now, that's the good news. The bad news is it is definitely going to take some effort on our part. And the question we have to ask right at the outset, as we always do, is are we willing to make the effort? We can always be assured that God will do His part. He has already given us the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. Corinthians tells us that we have the mind of Christ. He's given us all of the tools... Or if you like a different metaphor, he's given us all of the weapons that we need for this spiritual warfare. Are we willing to buff up the uniform? Are we willing to do what is necessary in order to be a good ambassador for Christ? The other thing we have to come to grips with is that this is not easy. It would be wonderful... If I could stand up here every week and tell you that this will be easy, that living the Christian life is easy, and that if you just do these three or four steps, everything will be hunky-dory, and everything will go your way. And I honestly wish that I could. Because I would like to be able to tell myself that. But those would be bald-faced lies. Very often, walking the Christian life... And seeking to do God's will brings quite the opposite into our lives. It often brings opposition. It often brings hatred. Now, we may not feel hatred in our world because we are safe here in this country. For now. But there are millions of Christians throughout the world who would love to have a workplace where somebody was disorganized. They would love to be able to do that. They would love to have a job. But they cannot have a job because they are Christians and they are actively persecuted economically. 
They would love to be able to come to a small church and, and worship the living God, to sing praises to God, and they cannot. Because to do so would to have the building burned down and their, their bodies destroyed as well. <clears throat> so the message for them is certainly not one of hunky-doriness. Everything's going to work out just fine if you're a Christian. How, who in their right mind would tell that to anybody as, as their church and their home is burning to the ground? So if that message would be invalid for them, then it has to be invalid for us. Because there's one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one Lord and Savior, and one God overall who is blessed forevermore. That was earlier in the chapter. They serve the same God. They believe the same things. That means we need to hear the same message. Just as the Ephesians had to hear the same message 2,000 years ago. So it's, what's technically invalid for one group is invalid for us as well. And we, frankly, need to prepare ourselves. I cannot be a prophesier of doom. I do not think that overnight... Our country is going to turn into Pakistan or Afghanistan, where being a Christian is a horrific experience. But I do think that in coming years, and you young people need to particularly hear me, I do think in coming years it's going to become a little bit less comfortable. Those of you who are my age or a little older, even a little younger, fairly easy to be a Christian in our society. You can speak the name of Christ. As long as you're not obnoxious about it, nobody's going to give you that much of a hard time. But um, I think the days are, if they're not upon us, they might quickly be coming where naming the name of Christ just might get you jammed up a little bit. Are we going to be prepared for that? Let me just ask you this. Are any of us prepared to give up everything for Christ? If our society did just change like that, and it was illegal to be a Christian, and you would lose your job, possibly your life, your family, and your home, the the whole thing for the name of Christ, is your faith strong enough to handle that? If you're feeling a little bit like, hmm, maybe if I was single, I know it was just going to be me, You have children, grandchildren. Uh, It's much more difficult. Very often in persecuted countries, they will not not harm the father. They will just say, we would like you to renounce Christ or else. Or else. A, B, and C are going to occur to your family. And you can watch. There are many men in this world who willingly go to the stake but if they're told that they are going to watch their loved ones undergo the stake, significantly more compelling. And we have to ask ourselves, what are we living for? Are we living according to darkness and according to, as Paul said in the earlier passages, the other Gentiles who have got their hearts hardened and are filled with lewdness and uncleanness and greediness to work all types of evil mischief? Or do we want to set our focus on Christ and truly understand Him? Because in verse 20 he says, But you have not learned Christ. Learned Christ. Christ. 
You don't hear that too much these days. You hear about accepting Christ, about trusting Christ, and all those things are important. But we need to learn Christ. Now, learning is fun. Sometimes. If you understand the subject, class is fun, isn't it? It's nice to have the answers, isn't it, kids? To be able to raise your hand and give the correct answer. It's very different if you're called upon and you don't know the answer. That's not fun. One of the things I used to do, I've told you, Hebrew was not a very good subject for me in seminary. And I struggled very hard with it. It's just, it didn't click. And what I would often do, and this isn't cheating or anything, it was just a way, it was a strategy. I would really focus on the beginning of the lesson. Just to be able to get through it, because it was a nerve-wracking experience. And I would have at least 33% of the lesson mastered, the beginning, so that I would be able to volunteer my hand and have Dr. Long or Dr. Collins or Dr. Vashols call upon me early in the game. But sometimes they would call upon me without my hand. And I would have to, I would have to fumble through it. Those professors weren't silly I wasn't the first person to figure that one out. And the goal wasn't to embarrass us. The goal was to get us all, because there's more than one person struggling in the subject, to pull it together and learn it together. Some of us did better than others. It's just that simple. Learning Christ is not always fun. I you to think about Jesus for a moment. How did his life on this earth progress? A lot of fun. Big party. Everybody loved him. Did they? For a time they did. The crowds flocked to him. What we call Palm Sunday as he's going into Jerusalem. What are they doing? They're cheering for him. They're throwing down the palms. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in. Ah, bah, 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 bah. The same crowds. Just a few days later, are calling for his head. And the high priests, who always hated him, said, we have no king but Caesar. Let his blood be upon us and upon our children. It took less than a week for all of that to change. So are you ready to learn Christ? If indeed you have heard Him, not heard of Him, heard Him, and have been taught not of Him, but by Him, as the truth is in Jesus. This is talking about the Scriptures. This is talking about the authoritative preaching of the Word. Now, clearly, when Paul preached, it was very different than when I preached, or when Pastor Proto's preached, or any other preacher. Paul preached under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I cannot claim that. I cannot claim that. I'm preaching, as it were, second-hand news. Paul received it firsthand. I'm preaching it second-hand. And any preacher's job is to present it second-hand faithfully. But ultimately, God is your teacher. That is one of the Holy Spirit's blessed functions in our lives. 
We read the scriptures. We hear the scriptures explained. But the Spirit is the one who impacts them into our heart and into our minds and makes us understand them and then believe them. Because the truth is in Jesus. And then he gives us two commands. One is positive and one is negative. And he deals with the negative first. That you put off concerning your former conduct. The old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. That's the first part of the passage. And the essence of it is this. If you take out those little clauses, that you put off the old man. That's the essence of it. You put off the old man. Now, ladies, this goes for you as well. Okay? This is talking about the old person. Okay? The old you. I want you to think about the old you. Now, those of us who came to Christ as adults, it's easier for us to remember the old us. Those of you who have come to Christ as children, listen to me carefully. It's a great blessing not to have to look in the mirror and remember what the old you was like. The goal for you children who are growing up in any kind of covenantal home is that the old you isn't all that much different than the new you. Everybody has to be born again. But by golly, if you get born again at age three or four or five, you can only do much, so, so much damage to ages one, two, three, and four. You don't get born again until 30. You can do, you can do a lot of damage to ages one through 29, especially 18 through 29. You can do a lot of damage to yourself. So, how do we figure out what the old man is like, what the old us is like? It's very simple. If it's sinful, if it's sinful, it's the old man. This is not rocket science. Lying is an aspect of the old man. Murder is an aspect of the old man. Greed is an aspect of the old man. Lust, lewdness, adultery are aspects of the old man, the old woman. The old person. Lying and selfishness are aspects of the old person. Jealousy and envy are aspects of the old person. Are you getting the message here? Idolatry. Putting anything before God is an aspect of the old person. Did I mention greed? I think I did. Paul mentioned greed in an earlier passage. Did I mention lying? I think I did. Breaking the Sabbath. Don't hear about that one too much in the church. Breaking the Sabbath is part of the old person. Unless that ox is in a ditch. You have oxen in a ditch. In a modern day, that's if something goes wrong in your life that you can't help and you have to take care of it. You deal with it. It doesn't matter if it's Sunday. You have to take care of it. And to be frank, depending how far you want to push it, we're all breaking the Sabbath right now. Even by being here. I'm enjoying the, I'm enjoying the ceiling fans. Now, personally, I wish it was one right over my head and it was zipping really, really fast. 
Is it necessary? I'm I'm fairly certain that the people, well, this building wasn't built until 1842, I was going to say 1816, but I'll go back that far. Our brothers and sisters who were members of Middlesex Presbyterian in 1816, do they have a paddle fan in August? Mm Mm-mm. They have air conditioning. Mm -mm. During the winter, their communion bread might have been a little hard. Might have been cold. Might have been cold. Might have been frozen. What we consider necessities a generation or two ago would be considered impossibilities. Our modern life is so complex that just by turning on a light switch, you're forcing someone to work. I'm fairly certain somebody has to be monitoring some type of meter somewhere. I certainly want people at the helm, so to speak, of nuclear power plants. I don't want anybody to say, well, you know, just leave it a, let it run on automatic pilot for a day because... It's the Lord's day. That, that would be actually a sin to do that because that could, that could cause an incredible amount of damage if things went wrong. What are the idols in your heart? What's really important to you? What would you literally die for? These are the things that we need to ask. And they are part of the old man. Now, how is the old man described? Now, to the Ephesians, he says, concerning your former conduct. This goes for any of us. We need to examine ourselves carefully. Very carefully. This is not, as I say, every Lord's, uh, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, when I you know, do what's called fencing the table, it's not a call to morbid introspection, but a cause for, for genuine, honest self-inspection examination. I think I titled the sermon New and Improved, I think. Was that the cute title I came up with? Yeah. Here's how I came up with that. My senior year in high school, we had a new, I almost called him a professor, a new teacher, business Senior year, you get to take cool classes. So I took business administration and business economics with this new teacher, Mr. Peters. Mr. Walter Peters, if he ever listens to my sermons, he says, hey, I remember that kid. And he said this line that to my 17-year-old mind struck me as, as the wisest thing I had ever heard. He said, if, it's, if the product is new and improved, what that means is that the old one was junk. Now, he was a great teacher, but he's prone to overstatement, so it would get your attention. I thought, new and improved. Everything's new and improved. And at the time, I wanted to go into advertising. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to work on Madison Avenue. I wanted to come up with slogans for products and make a lot of money. He said, new and improved means the old one is junk. That's a dumb ad campaign, so I'm writing all this down. Now, as I got older, I thought, that's not necessarily true. Product could could be the best in its class. You could have the best product in the world in in its class, and if they somehow improved it, it would just make it better. It doesn't mean that the old one was junk. In this case, the old man is junk. The old person is junk. The new and improved you is brand spanking new. So Paul tells us in Corinthians that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. You have to believe that. 
You see, we talk about faith in the Christian church, and faith encompasses our entire being. It's not just about, I believe that Christ died for my sins. That is the start. But you have to believe that the Holy Spirit has been given to you, and that He has created you anew. You have to believe that. And in order to believe it, you have to think about it. Because that old you, concerning your former conduct, it grows what? It grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. Now, we think of corrupt in terms of political corruption, people taking bribes. And that is a true use of the word. In this case, it's talking about the corruption of the body. It's talking about the man, new man and old man. The psalm that prophesied that Christ would rise from the dead promised us that the Lord would not allow His Holy One, the Messiah's body, to see corruption. His body came forth new and indestructible. And that's one of our great hopes as Christians. That when Christ returns, our resurrection bodies will be absolutely indestructible. And what's one of the most terrifying things of the Christian religion is that even unbelievers get a resurrection body. Unbelievers receive a resurrection body to withstand the rigors of eternal judgment. That is a terrifying reality. But for those of us who have bowed the knee to Christ, we have nothing to look forward to but the new heavens and the new earth. This, this world is a passing glimpse. Is it important? Yes, because Christ has planted us here. But it is a, it, it is a foyer to eternity. And eternity is what really matters. The second command is positive. It's something that we are to do. We're to be renewed in the spirit, what? Of our minds. Renewed in the spirit of our minds. It's an interesting turn of phrase. You see, the Christian life, especially Paul, places a great emphasis on what goes on in between our ears. That's a way of saying thinking. Too many Christians live their Christian life, live their lives by their feelings. Well, I go there and it just doesn't feel right. Okay, well, listen to me. I'm going to give you guys that are going to come to elementary ed later, I'm going to give you a little preview. If you control your thoughts, you can control your feelings. And if you control your feelings, you can control your behavior. And if you can control your behavior, you're, you're like Superman or uh, Wonder Woman. Naming superheroes off the top of my head here. You're incredible. You're one of the Incredibles. Because people who can control themselves are in high demand. You go to an old dictionary and look up the word government. They're not going to talk about civil government. They're going to talk about self-government. That was the earliest understanding of the word. You govern yourself. You govern your thoughts. You govern your, your words. You govern your behaviors and your actions. And if you do that, then guess what? The people around you will likely not want to control you because you already have everything covered. 
And how do we do that? By putting on the new man that doesn't grow corrupt, but has been created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the essence of it. And the way we put on this new man, which is a gift, is to think about our new status in Christ. You have to think about who you are. You have to get into the habit of thinking about how God views you and to accept it as a living, breathing fact. This is part of Holy Scripture. Do you believe it? It's giving you two commands. Put off the old man, put on the new man, and there's no downside to putting on this new man. Except people who like the old man are not going to want to be around the new man that much. Or will they? Or will they? I think that they will. Some of them at least. Someone who's walking in true righteousness and holiness? That's a rare breed of cat. That's a beauty to behold. That's a noble existence. That's an existence that reflects the glory and wonder of God and truly is new and improved. And it is yours for the taking if we will only think hard about it and put it into action and be willing to have that old man die. May God give us the grace to do these things. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this new man, this new person who's been created according to you and by you in true righteousness and holiness. And we ask, O Lord, for the grace to put off that which is old and to continually put on that which is new. And we ask this in your Son's precious name. Amen.